0: Well, hello out there. Welcome back to Dummies on Theology. I am Pastor Chuck. I am the co-host with uh, Guy, the IT Guy. Wave to everybody, Guy. That's me. I'm right here. That's right. They can't see you, but that's okay. And at a very distant location, uh, for his own safety, we have uh, Bruce. Say hello, Bruce. Hello, Bruce. Bruce. (laughs) That is such an old joke. And Bruce is, uh, as the world knows the faithful sidekick setting the bar for all other faithful sidekicks on podcast. And just so you know, you are still number one, Bruce on podcast faithful sidekick listing. Fantastic. I can't wait to see my record in the Guinness book of world records. <laughs> well, I don't know if they'll accept my statistics, but if they do, you're in. So uh, again, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. If we're talking fast is because we're using zoom. So we have 40 minutes to get this done. Fortunately, we only (laughs) have about eight minutes worth of stuff to say. So (laughs) uh, we have all the way from Tennessee, correct? That's correct. Yes. We have Pete Wilson with us. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit about Pete Wilson. And like all of our guests, believe it or not, Bruce and Guy, he has accomplished more than all three of us together.
1: I I don't uh, disagree with that.
0: I didn't think you'll be surprised. So here's what we have. Pete is the founding and senior pastor of Cross Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee, a committed church community that he and his wife Brandy planted in 2003. Over the course of nine years, Cross Point has grown to more than 5,000 people. I have been here 17 years and we've shrunk down to 300 people. So uh, <laughs> Maybe yes, they all went to his church. I bet they did. Yeah. I think they all moved to Nashville. Uh, he has five campuses. As if one isn't enough, he has five. And he's online, and it's one of the fastest-growing churches in America. So congratulations, Pete. That's quite a bit. Well done. But we're not done. I know we only have 40 minutes, but uh, he has a book. Thomas Nelson published his best-selling book, Plan B. I guess Plan A didn't work, so he went to B. It's a title that's been printed in five languages. Wow. Cobalt is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) If you would have said Fortran, maybe that would have been better. I'm sorry. Um, Let's see. I've lost my – it's got a six-weeks DVD with it for people that can't read the book. So, Bruce, there's hope for you. Get the DVD. Um, And then he also – is Empty Promises another book that you have
1: written? Yes. Yep.
0: Wow. Um, He's been busy. He's been busy. Uh, And then you have Let Hope In. Is that a third book?
1: That's a third one, yeah.
0: Oh my goodness! I should have read this ahead of time. Um,
1: and I think he's like fifteen or something.
0: Oh, he's got a fourth book coming. What keeps you up at night? Mostly indigestion, but that's not much of a book. So uh, he's that's avid, not the title, right? No, the title. <laughs> the title is "What Keeps You Up at Night." Oh, okay. Oh, that released in two thousand and fifteen. All right, it's already out there on Amazon as well.
1: It's
0: out. So uh, check them all out. They make good Christmas presents. Would they fit in a stocking if we all ordered one?
1: Oh, easily. Okay. Very small books.
0: Well, stocking <laughs> stuffers—that's easier to sell. Uh, he's an avid blogger, uh, PeteWilson.tv. I've watched it; it's fun. You should tune into that. And he's a fan of the Titans. Oh. Uh, we won't hold that against you, but let's go Titans. you can cheer for the Titans. I just want the Oilers' records back, please. Earl Campbell belongs in Houston, not in Tennessee. Uh, And then he has three boys, so you're an underachiever there. I have three boys, too. I have six, so there you go. Wow. I got you beat somewhere. Yeah, six boys. Can you imagine that?
1: Oh, my gosh. How old are they?
0: 11, 9, 7, 5, 4, and 2. Is that that six? Did I get six? I, I think that's right. Okay, there we go. And uh, Guy is godparent to all of them, so it's true. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Pete, did we get you introduced fairly well?
1: I think so. Yeah, you covered it well. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Is uh, of course uh, that particular bio is you know several years old, and and I think that um, while you know back then some of my at least what people would call great accomplishments kind of happened back then. I, I'm no longer at Cross Point, but uh was there for almost I think it was right at 15 years. Wow. Uh and I've been gone from there almost 4 years now, but um it's it's interesting to kind of hear that because for so long in that season that was, you know, that's the bio you, I would hear every time I do <laughs> uh, any kind of interview and all that. And it, it's, it's amazing when I think about the growth that's happened in my life over the past four years. Um, some of it has been come through painful circumstances, but, um, so much of my life, my identity was tied around what I did. It was tied to my bio, right? Mm. Uh, it was tied to the numbers that I had at, you know, the church I served and how many campuses we had and how many books I'd written. And um, it's funny to kind of hear that. I haven't heard that bio in a while Uh, and it's humbling, but it's, it's really good to now these, these, you know, four years later to not feel an attachment to that bio or not even to feel an attachment to those uh, accomplishments to not even feel like, Oh my gosh, I don't do all that anymore. Like, oh no, that's crazy. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a crazy past four years uh, and I'm thankful for all the stuff that God did in my life in that season, but I'm also incredibly grateful for what I feel like he's done in my life these past four years where none of it would probably be read in any public bio whatsoever. So um, yeah, it's, you know, life is an interesting journey for sure.
0: And you're still pastoring, though, correct?
1: I am, yeah. So I, I am now. This is just recently in the past uh, you know, six months or so. I went full-time at a church in Plymouth, Michigan called Northbridge Church. So I'm a teaching pastor there, um, and it's been an awesome experience. Um, I, I started my first church when I was in college, so I planted two churches, one in Kentucky when I was in college. I was there five years, and I moved to Nashville, which is, was my hometown. And then I started a cross point there. And so never in my adult life have I ever really worked for somebody. Uh, and so it's been an incredible experience of not being a senior pastor, not being a church planner, working under another pastor. And I, I feel like I've learned more in the past you know, six months to a year than I, I did in 20 years of being a lead pastor. Uh, Most of what I'm learning is my ideas weren't near as good as I thought that they were, um, <laughs> When you're sitting at the head of the table, it seems like everybody thinks your ideas are amazing, all of them. Uh, And now I'm learning they probably weren't as good as I thought they were. Uh, But I'm really enjoying serving in this capacity, uh, which is totally different for me, but it's been a lot of fun.
0: Now, if you were a Lutheran pastor, you would already know that your ideas weren't very good. Uh, People let you know, just like your sermons. They let you know when they're not very good.
1: That's probably healthy to some degree.
0: It probably is. So... So how did you move from
1: how how did you get to this point where you're at now? Yeah. What was that journey like? Yeah, so it's kind of crazy for me. I, I really my last couple of years that I was at Cross Point, um, I I felt a real tension in my life. I felt um the pressure had really built up. Uh I knew I was kind of in an unhealthy place. Um and it it wasn't just the pressure of, you know, leading this large church, had a lot of eyeballs on it. Um, I felt the pressure, and this was all self-pressure, by the way, self-inflicted. I I never had elders that were pushing me to go harder. I was uh, pushing hard out of an unhealthy place. And so it wasn't so much the church leadership, although that was a lot. I think for me it was the speaking at all the conferences, writing the books. Um, You know, out out of the four, if I could be honest, out of the four books, really the first one was the only one that I felt like I have to write this book. Like I have to, like, this is a message inside of me that I want to get out. I think the other ones there's, you know, it's based on scripture. So there's obviously some really important content in there, but I wasn't super passionate about them. You know, the first book did great. So what happens, you know, is they line up and they say, um, Hey, we want you to write another one. I'm like, "I, I just wrote that one. Like I'm still, speaking and doing interviews on that one and you want me to write this one yes we need another one and i wrote that one and like now we need two more in the next two years and you know again i could have easily said no but i didn't because it felt nice to uh, for somebody to write write you a check and it also is a stroke of the the ego right to say hey people like what you're writing so keep writing So it was a lot of pressure in a small amount of time. Uh, At the same time, my marriage was in shambles. Uh, So I had a lot of pieces that were moving around. And honestly, only a handful of people in my life really knew everything that was going on, from my marriage falling apart to the pressure I was under writing the books. I was definitely depressed, uh, burned out. I tried to hang on as long as I could. Uh, I honestly should have thrown in the towel. Uh, I should have resigned a year earlier than I did, honestly. Uh, But I didn't, Uh, that was a mistake. And I tried to hold on and fight through it and thought everything would get better and it didn't. And so um, gosh, within a period back in 2016, of in a couple of weeks uh, I resigned from Crosspoint, my wife filed for divorce. it it all you and again it, I say in a couple of weeks, the public results happened in a couple of weeks, but it had been building for about a year uh or over a year so um you know it was a it was a difficult time because in that season for me i I was losing everything I thought was important to me um everything hmm. and uh, again I was still in the midst of depression and it's literally it's taken me four years to kind of figure out um all the, le- and not, probably there's more lessons I haven't learned, but all the lessons I felt like I needed to learn from those set of circumstances. You know, um, I had some great pastor friends that kind of came around me and uh, kind of walked me through in that season. But, you know, no one ever imagines that's, that's what's going to be remembered from their ministry. Um, but for me, that's the way that it Kind of came to an end. And honestly, I didn't think I'd get back in ministry again. I had zero intention of that. I had to go through a season of definitely some just reconstruction of what I believe, what I don't believe. And uh, you know, four years later, um, I, I finally felt like I was back in a healthy place to kind of uh, put my toe back in the water and re-engage a little bit. But I've re-engaged in a much different way than I would have, you know, uh, five years ago.
0: Now, this wasn't going to be our topic, and we'll still get there. But I'm just curious, where did you think in the midst of all this, where did you see yourself four years later?
1: Uh, I don't think in that moment I was thinking that far ahead, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, uh, I was thinking survival. Uh, I I remember I had a tremendous Mm -hmm. amount of fear. And I think a lot of pastors um, who find themselves in a transition, regardless, regardless if it's, you know, a situation like mine or maybe they just go through burnout and they, you know, or maybe they get fired or um, if that's all you've done, which for me, that's all i would ever done since I was 18 years old was pastor. I had a tremendous amount of fear of. Of like, well, what do I do now? Like, how am I going to make a living? What's that going to look like? And of course, everybody tells you, "Oh, you have so many skills that are marketable." I was like, "But really, <laughs> I mean, do I? I mean, <laughs> I just, right. I don't,
0: I don't,
1: I don't see that." And so, um, I think for me in that moment, it really was survival. I knew I needed to make some changes personally, like you know, and spiritually, if I was going to survive and and ever thrive again in that area of my life. I had to figure out how I was going to, you know, make a living. Um, So there were, it was a very scary season for me of trying to, yeah, figure out what's next.
0: Yeah, it's so easy to let your identity, as we've been talking, get caught up into what you do or, and that defines then who you are. And that's never a good thing to, to find yourself only in what you do. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely
1: yeah you're right and and that's exactly what i had done looking back um whether it was a sermon i was writing or a conference i was teaching at or a book i was writing a meeting i was leading baked into the center of all of it were these questions like am i worthy do i matter right and so i'm back doing a lot of those same things now years later but it, feels different. And it looks a little different because it's not driven by these questions of, am I worthy? Um, Do I matter? Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm answering those questions in a much different place these days. And it's not through what I'm producing or what I'm writing or what I'm giving out publicly. I think, you know, when you're a, I'm a people pleaser to the core. And when you're a people pleaser and in ministry, it's like this toxic combination that can just, you know, take you down all kinds of roads you really don't want to go down. But yes, I agree, I, and, and I'm sure this is true in any line of work. Um, it's so easy, especially for men, right, to attach our identity and our worth and our value to what we do and what we produce, how much we produce um we we love to climb ladders mm-hmm. and so you know show us a ladder and we'll climb it and put it doesn't matter what wall it's up against we're going to climb it um and so I'm having to, to kind of readjust and see what that looks like this uh, second half of my life
0: and I'm Pete so go- has- oh go ahead Bruce
1: oh yeah Pete I was gonna say as you were going <laughs> through that season and things were getting pruned was there anything that got pruned away that you were surprised at it's a great question. Um, gosh, there was so much being pruned. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot left there for a season, if at least that's what it, it felt like. Um, you know, I think I, I went for years without speaking. Um, and for someone who was speaking multiple times a week, um, you know, at that, in that season at Crosspoint, I think we were doing six services live every Sunday. Mm. So I had that. And then, of course, during the week, I'd speak at other things. And so that was kind of my life with uh, speaking. And what what I kind of realized over time was the Bible in many ways became a defense mechanism for me. So, like, you know, if, if I had notes or I had the scripture here in front of me, it was always this. It was, it was, you know, it was, how does this apply to this person? How does it apply to this group? Uh, how is this going to motivate this particular, you know, meeting to go the way I want it to go. And when that skill of mine was kind of taken away and no need to kind of use it in that way, scripture kind of came alive in me in a much different way because it became about how, how is this impacting me? Not I couldn't read it to apply it to anybody else. Nobody wanted to hear anything <laughs> I about scripture. Uh, and it was a good thing, right? Because I, I needed to hear what the scripture had to say to me and not to everybody else around me. And so I would say that that was a huge thing that was pruned in that season, just that, that skill. And it was just for a season, but I needed to set that skill, you know, up on the shelf and put it to the side uh, so that I could kind of, you know, hear and sense what, what God had for me in that time. Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to do that. That was just my particular journey and what needed to happen for me so that I could get quiet and kind of just hear from God again.
0: We are very familiar with no one wanting to listen to anything we have to say. So, so we, <laughs> we know that season. It's been the entire podcast. So um, <clears throat> before we dive in to our topic, then I'm going to play a little game for people. We're going to see how high up the food chain you were, okay? So I'm going to name somebody, and you tell us if you ever shared a stage with them or uh, met them in person, okay? Okay. All right. Joel Osteen. Nope. Okay. Um, This is close to us. Craig Rochelle? Yes. Okay. Uh, The last one is, I was just trying to think of somebody. Joyce Myers?
1: Never Joyce (laughs) Myers. Or okay. Joel, I, and I'm disappointed that I never had that opportunity for either one of them. But
0: no, I, I didn't. Well, I'm from Houston, so I'll see if I can hook you up with Joel next time I'm there. So <laughs>
1: I'll, t- I'll tell him you're looking. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Thank you.
0: Uh, the The topic we kind of thought about in, in talking with Pete was uh, his words, discovering purpose in ministry regardless of your job. And then it's the idea of the secular versus the sacred or for us as Lutherans – uh, it's it's along the lines of the idea of vocation, that as a Christian, we all have a place where God has called us to serve. So why don't you just start us, and then uh, we'll jump in with our questions if we have any good ones. If not, we'll just listen to you talk and uh, okay. watch, watch the ratings skyrocket and everything. So um, talk to us about discovering your purpose in ministry.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think for me, this really came from a personal place of being in professional Christian ministry for, you know, two decades. And then all of a sudden I'm not. And, um, it, it honestly is a very refreshing stage for me, uh, because I started to experience ministry in a, in a very just personal way, uh, in, in a way that I hadn't before. And I feel like, and I think it's just true of most pastors that most pastors probably have great motives. Um, but but it's it's really hard to have completely pure motives when you're getting paid to do ministry. Like there, there's always that thing in the back of your mind of like, would I do this if I wasn't getting paid to do this? Like, am I doing this just for the paycheck or is this really who I am and what I believe uh, and how I want to live my life? And so for me, there was the season obviously where uh, I wasn't Pastor Pete, I was just Pete. In fact, I'll never forget... Um, when I was buying my home, this is post my divorce and everything and post, you know, cross point. And I found this neighborhood. It was a fairly new neighborhood. Right. And I, I remember driving in that neighborhood and the house I was looking at, I drove down the alley of that street and I, I just looked at license plate numbers. <laughs> I was, I, I was looking to see what state people were from and every person on that street had a, had a license plate that was from out of state. None of them were from Tennessee. And I was like, that's where I want to live. I want to live somewhere right where I'm kind of starting over, and and none of these people went to my church or anything. And so for a season there, I wasn't Pastor Pete. I was just Pete, and I loved it. Like little simple things, like um, like mowing my neighbor's grass. It felt so pure. It just felt <laughs> so like like I love this. Like nobody's paying me to do this. I'm not going to blog about this tomorrow. I'm not using this as illustration on Sunday. I'm just mowing the guy's grass because it needs to be mowed and he needed my help. Like it, it was just so reassuring to me in that season um, that I didn't have that title. And it, it just got me thinking a lot because I, I always believed um, that that wall between the secular and the sacred, like that somehow God looked at certain jobs like pastors and missionaries and they were on one level and then, uh, you know, your accountants and the person who owns the salon, somehow like they were on a different level. I, I, I never believed that, but I also at the same time had never lived it out because I'd always been in ministry my entire life. And so there were certain truths uh, about sacred and secular, also certain truths about grace and forgiveness that I preached about for years but I had never personally really lived through those. So it's not so much that on the other side of all this, my message has changed. I just think it sounds a lot different because now I know it and I believe it to the core of my being. And so part of what I try to do as often as I can these days is remind people, regardless what your job is, right? You know, God's using you and your title does not matter whatsoever. And I love, um, I, I, I kind of, you know, again, there's certain scriptures you, you pick up on this, whether it's Paul, who obviously had a trade, um, the disciples were fishermen. And yes, Jesus, you know, called them to leave their nets, but eventually they'd go back to their nets. And, and I feel like when they went back, they went back in a different way. I think they viewed fishing differently, not only because now they were called to be fishers of men, he gave them purpose behind what they did from nine to five. But I think now they're looking at their profession and like, you know what? I could leave this if I wanted to, or I can stay here and serve Jesus in this capacity. It set them up in such a way where I don't think they were looking to their identity any longer in what they did, but in how they lived their life out. And so I'm just always looking for opportunities to remind people of the importance of that, and that. It doesn't matter what you do, just do whatever you do. In such a way that you give God glory.
0: So uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther <laughs> has a has a doctrine of vocation, and he only uses the word vocation for Christians. And so, there's a vocation as father, uh, if you're a father. Vocation as mother, husband, uh, and, and the idea is in that calling, being that set apartness, you're, you're you're living Christ to other people in those areas, whether it's your wife. Or your kids, or people at the bank, whatever it might be. And I think it's very easy for people to look and say, okay, well, he's Pastor Pete. Of course, he's doing his job for Jesus, but I'm just a school teacher, or I'm just the cashier at Walmart. So how can I be living for Jesus? And so I think while it's easy for pastors to, like you said, we can question whether or not we do this if we're getting paid. I think on the flip side, people look at pastors and say, well, that's the only calling. The rest of us, we just have jobs, and we go to church, and maybe someday we'll get to share Jesus with somebody. But but what you're talking about is <clears throat> helping people to realize where God has sent you, where he has placed you. You don't have to go looking for it. He's 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 put you in a place to be Christ to people.
1: That's right. That's right. And, that, yeah, I, I think that— We've done a terrible disservice to the, the average person in the average job who doesn't really think that their spirituality is at all connected to what they do, right? They view Christianity, spirituality, all of that, uh, things that are holy uh, to only take place inside of the church in that one hour or two hours after they're on a Sunday, Uh, Which is, by the way, I think why we're struggling so much these days with COVID. Um, And people don't necessarily have that normal expression they've always had. And they were never really taught how to weave that in and live that out nine to five the other six days a week. And so there's just, you know, terrible disconnect. And I think more and more we've got to look for ways that we help people discover that No matter what you do, no matter what your title is, you are on mission. Uh, and Christ in you through whatever it is that you're doing. And so um, I I think it's a really important message and exactly how we get that across. I don't know, but I I do know, I think we need to spend more time on it because I, I think it's a freeing principle when somebody begins to understand that they don't have a second class calling that again, being a missionary is no more important than selling ice cream, right? It, it has everything to do with how you do it and that God can be just as happy with you regardless of what your job is or where you live. Um, so I, I, I think there's a lot of freedom in that, and I'd love to see more people be able to live that out.
0: And And Guy would agree with you that selling ice cream is far more important than most <laughs> missionary work. Uh, it's my guys, favorite. Yes. He has a separate stomach just for ice cream. So he's definitely true. tracking with you. I saw his eyes got really big. He's like, he knows all the ice cream people in town by name. So he was really excited about that. Um, and, and you kind of ruined it for me because I was going to ask you how you think we communicate that message to people uh, from the pulpit so that they understand. Because uh, I like to tell people all the time, you're going to impact hundreds more people in a week than I can. Because the people that come to my office, the people that come to our building, they're already Christian most of the time. I don't get a lot of people saying, hey, pastor, I want to set up a meeting with you because I don't believe in Jesus. That doesn't happen. I'm usually dealing with people who are going through crisis or whatever else or just want to talk to their pastor or kids from the school. But but I think we have to somehow get that message out there to people or just communicate to them. That in your job you're going to meet the people that Jesus would have been meeting, and you they need they need you to be there. But I was hoping you were going to give us a good way to do that.
1: Yeah. Maybe that could be your next Sorry book or something, that. right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think that you know I did jot down a couple things knowing we were going to have this conversation today that that I'm I'm these days trying to find ways to weave this in whether it's inside of messages or even it's just a kind of a one-on-one counseling meeting, you know, being able to, cause it often, it it does go back. I I think so many people who feel like they're miserable in their job and that they don't have purpose in their job because again, they think they have a job that doesn't really matter inside of the kingdom. And again, I think that's so far from the truth, but a couple of things that I I jotted down that I think we need to constantly remind people that. And number one was, I wrote down, just work at excellence, like whatever it is you do, like, Do it really well, like show up on time. uh, (laughs) And if you staple papers, then staple papers better than anybody else, like, you know, around your cubicle. Like, just do that, but do it with excellence. I read this great uh, quote from uh, Dorothy Sayers. She said, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. <laughs> and well said. I just, I love that. It's, it's like, yeah, we spend so much time coaching people on morality, but at the same time, we're not reminding them that whatever it is they do, whatever they put their hand to, they should do it in such a way that it, it really kind of separates them from other people. Uh, and so that that was one thing I wrote down. The second thing I wrote down was just growing in love. I think that the workplace um, is a place where we have such an opportunity. Uh, it, it's a classic, like just experiment every day where we have the opportunity to show God's love to people. Uh, if there's anything I've noticed in the several years that I spent outside of professional ministry, uh man the workplace is full of a lot of hurting broken people and it, it doesn't take a lot you know just listening to people on your lunch break uh finding somebody that maybe isn't at the same level that you're at in an organization and asking them how their how their day is going like it is so simple i'm not talking about even necessarily starting a bible study you know uh, at work during your lunch hour although if you feel led to do that do that like There's so many simple ways day in and day out that we can just show love to the people around us. And then the third thing I wrote down, it's kind of similar to that was just seek to serve. Like asking every day with my existing skill set, with my abilities inside of the place that I work nine to five, how can I serve the people around me, right? How can I go out of the way to make sure they know that this is not just about me climbing my own personal ladder but that I want to find ways to help the people around me succeed and I'm going to serve people. And And I think some of those just very simple things instantly set you apart in inside of most uh, work environments and give you the opportunity to really have a voice uh, with the people around you. And so I think the more we can just remind people the simple things that they can do nine to five, um, you know, the better they'll be able to live that out.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as, you're talk, as you were talking and I'm thinking – Jesus always looked with eyes of compassionate people. Um, I remember he comes across, he's tired, and he wants to pray and be in a solitary place, and everybody ran across to the other side. <clears throat> if I get out, I'm angry. I'm like, everybody leave me alone. And and Scripture says he looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. And I think if we just practice that Christian compassion with people, if if we can teach all of our doctors and nurses and teachers and students to have to see people with the eyes of Christ and to see them as they are so often lost sheep without a shepherd waiting for someone to just care for them I think it's not special training and I think so often our people think well if I don't have special training like a pastor, then I can't witness Jesus to people and I can't evangelize and I'm like stop evangelizing people just love people and, and let the rest of it take care of itself to some degree and, and I think that's what you're saying is just have real relationships with people at your workplace that are different than the relationships everybody else is is having where it's right. how can I use you or or step over you or whatever else but it's just how can I care for you um, and it really is that simple I think um, I think it's more difficult to communicate that to people from the pulpit, from a Bible study, from the church to its members than it is it's it's more difficult to communicate than it is to actually do it. Yeah, to put it
1: in action. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I Pastor Chuck, I think you nailed that and I think you know, I I have some, you know, just crazy ideas about why sometimes it doesn't get communicated, but let's just be honest, like it's so simple it's it's not sexy, you know, it's like the, the stuff that we can preach that, you know, gets the amens and the applauds and fires up the troops, usually are very confusing ideas that nobody can actually put into practice. And so, you know, I think the temptation sometimes is to avoid like the simplicity of what you just kind of spelled out, because it just doesn't, you know, I think we're all afraid, like, well, if we just tell them that they're going to be like, we pay you for that Exactly. <laughs> it's job security. <laughs> really? i gotta keep you,
0: I got to keep you in the dark so I have that job security. I want to read to you. Um, yeah. th- this is a quote from uh, Martin Luther. Uh, he's a big deal to us uh, as Lutherans. And this is talking about vocation. It's part of a longer quote. It's just how he ends. God, with all his angels and creatures, is smiling, not because the Father is washing diapers, but because he's doing so in Christian faith. Wow, and and so that's pretty progressive that that this time that fifteen hundreds that a dad's washing diapers, but but he's talking about God and the angels are rejoicing because the Father's fulfilling his vocation, and I don't think our people understand. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't think we communicate well enough to them how much they can please God just by being faithful in where He has put them. You know.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, spot on. And I, I I do. I think if there's any light word of encouragement for those of us who, you know, have the privilege to kind of stand up in front of people at church, uh, it would be to encourage them in that and to live that out. Because I really think that's where the difference is made. And, you know, we can see that in the history of Christianity. Christianity in the early years exploded because of the simple kindness and love Uh, of the early followers of Christ. And it wasn't so much their theology, even though hopefully it was pretty solid. Um, It it, it came down to the way that they loved uh, and the way that they served. And I I think to the degree that we can continually inspire um, uh, the people who attend our churches to that, I I think that uh, we'll see growth not only in our churches, but we'll just see growth in the community. Uh, And so I, I think that's what it's all about. And again, too. Even if we
0: don't change the entire world, or, or Christianize the entire world, it's still a better place for people to live. Yeah. And for absolutely. some people, and this sounds terrible, but if this is as close to heaven as some people get, then shouldn't we want them to experience as much of God's grace as they can? You know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're doing is uh, in that is is that secular. It's still our sacred, and that God has called us there and put us there to to be Christ to people. So that's right.
1: Yeah, and I think that was one of the encouraging things for me uh, post CrossPoint was my my mission field shrunk dramatically. You know, I, I wasn't a part of something anymore. We were talking about how we're going to change the world. Now, for me, it was. I got this street with like a couple of houses up there and a couple of houses up there. That's, it. That's, my, that's my mission field. And, you know, I still live on the same street. And I, I hope none of them listen to this because it'll blow my cover. But, um, you know, I, I I think that what's developed here is a really cool community of people who have learned to love and serve each other. Uh, not always in Jesus' name, but sometimes in Jesus' name. And uh, it's been really cool to kind of watch that and see that develop uh, just here on my little street.
0: Well, I'm going to assure you, your cover's not blown. They are not listening to this. <laughs>
1: Have no fears. Um, as
0: as we wrap up the, the show, um, I always like to give you a chance to uh, let people know how they get in touch with you, or what you have going on. I know you've got your podcast and I know it's on YouTube. And like I said, it's a great quality program, but go ahead and just tell people if they want to reach out to you or find you, how do they find you?
1: Yeah. I got remarried uh, earlier this year, right? Right kind of at the beginning of when COVID was starting, which was an interesting season to get married. But <laughs> uh, my wife and I, have, for a while now, have been trying to find something that we could kind of serve together in. Uh, obviously, I serve a church that's hundreds of miles away, and for the most part, I kind of fly back and forth. Uh, so we, we wanted something that we could kind of do together and create together, so we started this uh, podcast called Good Talk. So you can search it. It's a Good Talk with Pete and Jordan Wilson, and it's like wherever you know, people listen to the podcast. Uh, but um, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. We, we just started a couple months ago and it's been a real fun way for uh, us to, you know, we, again, for us, we've just met a lot of people in our neighborhood. Uh, There's a girl that cuts my hair that I was talking to one day that, that, They're just so far away from that step of walking into a church, but they're so open to spiritual conversations. So honestly, we started the podcast with those individuals in mind as a place uh, to just remind people of the love of God and the joy of life and the possibilities that lie ahead. And so that's kind of been our own little personal ministry, and we're, we're having a lot of fun doing that.
0: Well, it's fun, and, and like awesome. I said, uh, y'all have you both, um, you and Jordan, both have faces made for television. That's why uh, you're <laughs> there, and uh, we have faces made for uh, basements, yeah. And that's why we're here. So, uh, uh, thank you again for being a guest. And uh, that's fantastic. Hopefully, you'll come back and talk to us again. Absolutely. We'd love to. You had about eight topics that I think are worth talking about, and so we'd love to have you on again and talk to you about that. So for all our listeners, we're getting close to Christmas. Um, If you haven't got our gifts yet, hurry up. We're waiting for them. Um, We hope you have a wonderful day, wonderful week. God's blessings to you. And remember, live Christ where he has planted you. Someone's waiting to hear from you. Someone needs you to hand them that lifeline. So go ahead and do that.